You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. By now, we've all seen the photo of President Donald Trump at the G7 summit, sitting arms crossed in a face-off with other leaders, a petulant look on his face. And we've seen the downward cascade of headlines from that summit. Trump threatening tariff increases for European allies in Canada, then suggesting that Russia should be a good addition to that group, showing up late for the first full meeting, leaving early to head for his meeting this week with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, and then tweeting angrily about Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Now, think about all of that in contrast to a new photo, one taken last night of Trump smiling and friendly, shaking hands with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. None of this was a good look, but more important, it marks a shirking of long-standing U.S. allies in favor of compliments toward notorious dictators. What does this say about Trump's foreign policy and our standing in the world? Here to help us understand what's going on is Peter Trumbor, a professor of political science at Oakland University. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Yeah. So I think if you're a student of either history or political science uh, in this country, you're sitting scratching your head watching this unfold. And these two photos, the contrast, I think, uh, is just absolutely remarkable. An American president glowering at uh, Angela Merkel and uh, several other longstanding U.S. allies, uh, and then with a big grin on his face, shaking hands with Kim Jong-un. What in the world is going on? Well, there are a couple of constant sort of through points in the way that Donald Trump thinks about foreign policy. They go all the way back to the 1980s when he first started talking about these things. And one of them has been this real suspicion of American alliance relationships and this idea that, you know, essentially every relationship should be completely transactional. And that means uh, it's not like the old-fashioned sort of sort of realpolitik way of thinking about allies, you know, where you have no permanent alliances, only permanent interests. It's not even that complex, right? It's this notion that that allies take advantage of the United States. Mm -hmm. And therefore we should not be committed to any relationship for any period of time. This idea of reciprocity that that we maintain this, these relationships and these alliances because in the future we may need to to look to them for uh, for some kind of assistance, whether it's economic or military, or whatever, you know, as far as Trump is concerned, none of that matters. Uh, this idea that if we uh, upend some of these relationships, that our commitments in the future won't be uh, won't be taken as serious, that that this will create a credibility problem. Trump has also said that that's not really a, a significant consideration for him. Right. Um, so this. I don't think we should be surprised when we see uh, Trump is willing to kick longstanding friendly relationships to the curb and embrace new opportunities. Uh, this is just one of those points of consistency in the way that he's viewed the world. And, and so then let's give him the benefit of the doubt just uh, for the purpose of this conversation. Are there things that we ought to be questioning about the relationships that we have with countries like Great Britain uh, and and Germany uh, and France? Uh, and are there opportunities for us to have better relationships 
with countries like North Korea. Sure, but there's also ways to do it that are are productive versus ways to do it that are more, um, I would say, destructive of the international framework the United States has spent the last 70 years building and maintaining. Um, it has been a longstanding complaint of the United States, it's not just President Trump, that our Western allies, in particular our NATO allies, haven't really held up their end of, of defense burden sharing. And, and so that's a legitimate complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, an, a, a decision the United States made during sort of the depths of the Cold War that we would shoulder the, the bulk of that burden, first to make sure that there was a robust defense posture versus the Soviet Union, but also as a way to allow our allies to rebuild their economies and become basically prosperous, good customers of the United States. So we were willing to essentially trade off uh, carrying more of that defense burden in exchange for some very serious and very tangible economic rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, The economic boom the United States enjoys after World War II is in part thanks to that kind of set of trade-offs, right? That we create essentially a a global market for America's robust economy, and we maintain that. Um, So you can't really separate, in my mind, our... um, strategic alliances and our economic relationships. They have always been intertwined, and we've been willing to make some of these trade-offs. Now, as we've moved into the post-Cold War period, some of those trade-offs have been less and less sort of palatable to the United States. But again, it's not just Donald Trump who has said this. I mean, Barack Obama tried to make this point, and earlier presidents. So, so yeah, are there things that we could do differently? Yes. Are there ways that we could improve relations with a country like North Korea? Sure. Um, But I think that the reason that earlier presidents didn't do what Donald Trump did in Singapore yesterday is because no one has really wanted to validate what is the most, the single most brutal and repressive regime mm-hmm. on earth, and, and that's the North Koreans, without getting some very significant commitments to make some changes. Uh, what we did yesterday, what Donald Trump did yesterday, was basically give North Korea the store for nothing. Um, everything that happened from the the very sort of vague commitments that were made in the joint communique to the promise to, of the United States to give up um, joint exercise, military exercises with South Korea. All of those are things that the North Koreans have wanted for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And what we got in exchange was essentially nothing that the North Koreans hadn't already agreed to do. So if that's what a great deal maker produces, <laughs> I, have a, I, have, I have some question about what great deals mean. What does a deal actually look like? This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Peter Trumbore. He's a professor and chair of political science at Oakland University. We are talking about foreign policy, American foreign policy in the hands of of Donald Trump. Think of what we've seen over the last week. The president going to the G7 summit and fighting with uh, America's historical allies like Germany and France and Britain and Canada. Uh, Then he toddles off to uh, Singapore to meet with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, and he's all smiles. Uh, This is turning U.S. foreign policy on its head. The question is, is that a good thing? Is that the thing that needed to be done to move things along in the foreign arena? Or are these missteps that could cost America in the short term and in the long term? If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. Tell us what you have thought of the way the president has handled these things, not just in the last week, but uh, in the last year and a half since he has been president. And tell us what you think the effect 
will be. Is it dangerous to thumb our noses at our allies in Europe? Is it dangerous to start a, even a rhetorical war, let alone a trade war, with a country like Canada? Uh, and is it smart to sit at the table with a dictator like Kim Jong-un without demanding that he do some things to clean up that country's human rights record. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, uh, and you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Peter, I want to I talk about what the, what the potential danger is, particularly in this spat that he has encouraged with Justin Trudeau yeah. uh, in Canada. Canada is, you know, I mean, it's a physical neighbor, but it's also, you know, uh, uh, our closest trade partner. Exactly. Um, uh, he is making the point that our trade partners take advantage of us uh, and that uh, our generosity uh, is is going to be shorter lived than it has been in the past. Is that a good point to be making? And is he making it the right way with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau? No, it's certainly in terms of Canada, he's, he's, he's really off base. Um, the overall trade balance between the United States and Canada is in the United States' favor. There's a trade surplus uh, when you take goods and services together. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, if you look only on the sort of the merchandise or the goods side of the equation, yes, the United States runs a, a bit of a trade deficit with Canada. But that is overwhelmed by the services surplus that we have. So if on balance the question is what's the U.S. economic relationship with Canada, it's one that benefits the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, a trade war with Canada is is so far outside of the realm of, I think, reasonable possibility that that I was completely taken aback, and I suspect many others were as well, that we would have gotten to this point and to use a national security justification in order to levy these tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, I think is even more um, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a point that that Trudeau made and that other Canadian observers have made, and that is that Canada has, throughout the 20th century, has been the United States' closest ally, that uh, Canadian troops have stood shoulder to shoulder with American soldiers on battlefields across the world since World War I. And to argue that somehow the importation of steel and aluminum from Canada represents a national security threat to the United States is simply mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what it points to is a, a manipulation of, of the meaning of what was a Cold War era, 1950s era uh, 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 trade sort of, I don't say loophole, that's not quite right, but the 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 handing over of tariff authority mm-hmm. on national security grounds in the, in the 1950s uh, to, to the present made some sense in that context, right? But here we are 70 years later, and, and we're using a national security justification to, uh, to support tariffs against our closest allies. Mm-hmm. That is just, that's just, that's just craziness. Um, you could see it. If we were talking about uh, China, you could see it. If we were talking about Russia, you could see it in other contexts and in earlier periods, but not when we're talking about uh, Canada and Germany and France and so on. Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about foreign policy and trade. We're also going to be joined by Jeffrey Gertz. He is a postdoctoral research fellow on global economy and development at the Brookings Institution. He's going to help us sort out the trade dynamic in all of this. So stay with us here on Detroit Today, and stay with us on the phones. Ed in Detroit, Ed and Warren, and Gene in Detroit. We'll get to you next. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Peter Trumbor. He's a professor and chair of political science at Oakland University. We're talking about foreign policy and trade in the hands of President Donald Trump. Also joining us now is Jeffrey Gertz. He's a postdoctoral research fellow on the global economy and development at the Brookings Institution. Jeffrey Gertz, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Yes. And as always, uh, you can join us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Jeffrey, I want to get you to talk uh, briefly about what we're seeing with the shift in trade policy uh, in in the hands of Donald Trump, and particularly uh, this antagonism that he has uh, inspired between the United States and its closest allies, and in particular, Canada. Sure. So I think, you know, it's certainly a big issue. I think when we look at Trump's trade policy, clearly it was a big part of his campaign for president. And it's something he has sort of protectionist impulses, which, you know, we can see in his statements going back to the 1980s, really. Sure. What's notable in his presidency so far is that through the first year, there was a lot of sort of alarmist rhetoric and a lot of talk about getting tough on trade. But when you actually go to the details of policy implementation, it really wasn't that different from previous administrations. The question we see now is that, is that starting to shift? Is the sort of implementation catching up with the rhetoric? So, you know, the rhetoric over the first year was lots of talks of withdrawing of NAFTA, withdrawing from the U.S.-Korea free trade agreements. Um, And these are sort of lots of threats that weren't followed through on. Now with these steel and aluminum tariffs, this is sort of the first sign that maybe a lot of this rhetoric really is going to translate into actual policy outcomes. And I think for a lot of the trade policy community, that's sort of the big question and the big worry is that, is this a sort of tipping point where we're moving from the kind of aggressive rhetoric stage into the aggressive implementation stage? Mm -hmm. Uh, The implications of this, uh, I think uh, the instinct is to say that uh, this is calamitous and that, that it could cost us both in the short term and the long term. Is there a view, though, that says maybe this all works out and we deal with some of the trade imbalances, for instance, for instance, that we have, and maybe we uh, get better relationships uh, with countries that uh, that we've had a difficult time with? So, I mean, my personal view, I'd say, is probably between those two opinions, is that, you know, I don't necessarily think it's calamitous. I don't think we're in the sort of 1930s about to have a spiraling trade war scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I think these are policies that will have a negative impact kind of both domestically on the U.S. and on the U.S.'s trade partners. I think it's an impact that can be managed and we can get through, but we would be better off not going down this route mm. um, if we could choose so. 
Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. No surprise, we've got lots of folks who would like to take part in this conversation. Uh, let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Hey, um, I just wanted to comment on something Ambassador Wendy Sherman said on one of the morning uh, talk shows. She pointed out that in agreements between North Korea and the U.S. going back to the administration of Bill Clinton. There was a language in the agreement calling for verifiable um, nuclear uh, denuclearization. And this agreement that uh, Mr. Trump has agreed to does not have that language in it. Hmm. So we've gone from the North Koreans agreeing to get rid of their nukes and, and agreeing to a process of verification to now simply an aspiration that they'll get rid of nukes. In all the agreements in the past, going back to Clinton, the North Koreans were the ones who broke the agreement. Right. right. I, I, my concern is that, that uh, this current agreement is much more aspirational than anything in the past, and uh, I think if I were a betting man, I would bet that uh, in five years we'll look back and we'll see the North Koreans have broken this agreement hmm. also. Uh, Ed, uh, that's a that's a really interesting insight. I'm glad you called, uh, made it. Uh, uh, Peter Trump board. It almost uh, it's almost a characterization of Trump as the naive here, right? Uh, who's thinking? Who thinks he scored a big victory, right. but maybe doesn't understand enough of the nuance to see that uh, that it's Kim Jong Un who comes out the victor. Right. I would say if I would agree with uh, with Ed. If I thought this was the end of the process as opposed to the beginning of the process, we know that there are supposed to be follow-on discussions beginning, I believe, next week with mm-hmm. Mike Pompeo and his counterparts in North Korea. And that's when we can expect to see some of this uh, nitty-gritty start to get ironed out. Now, will there be robust mechanisms for verification built into a more detailed agreement down the road? Uh, I think we have to see that or, or none of this makes any sense. Um, if what we end up with after those follow-on uh, negotiations is something that looks like what they came up with yesterday, then I would agree that this has been uh, – this is a, uh, an agreement that really is not worth the paper that it's written on. So we're just going to have to wait and see uh, what comes out. Uh, and if there is a second summit uh, in which the two leaders sit down and, and put their names on something that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Ed, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Jim in Windsor. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, hello. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Uh-huh. Uh, I just had a, a quick point on the, on the tariff issue. Uh, what I don't hear enough is is what the tariffs actually are. And, and in my view, they're actually a, a tax. The U.S. government will get the tariff who will pay the tariff? It won't be Canada or any of the other trading partners. It'll be the consumer. So mm-hmm. essentially, that's a, a tax, which, uh, you know, I thought the Republicans were against further taxation, <laughs> but uh, that's exactly what is happening right now. Right. Jim, thanks very much uh, for the call and the question. I, I should also mention that yesterday we had another caller from Windsor uh, across the Detroit River in Canada who's a business owner who said he has canceled canceled future business with the United States until the tariff issue is is laid to rest. Um, uh, Jeffrey Gertz, uh, talk about that role 
again, tariffs are not anything new. Uh, we've tried this before. Uh, the, the idea that you do it, though, to uh, an ally uh, and and hope that somehow it comes out uh, with a positive uh, sort of outcome, I think, is, again, sort of on the naive side of, of, of policymaking. Yeah, no, I think that's completely right. And I think, you know, as the caller mentioned, this idea that tariffs really are essentially a tax. This is something that the Republican Party in particular um, has traditionally opposed. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see here in the U.S., you know, there's a bit of a move within the Republican Party in Congress to sort of rein in some control over trade policy, which they would have the authority to do if they chose to use it. Um, this is one of the biggest issues where the Republicans have broken with Trump in his presidency to date. And it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see kind of how that develops. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned these stories of individual business owners who are having to delay expansion plans, delay hiring. You know, those stories are starting to get written up more and more in the U.S. media here. And I think that does have an effect on Congress when, you know, you're reading your local paper about the business that kind of couldn't hire the extra 10 workers because of the tax that they're paying Mm -hmm. through Trump's tariffs. Um, Those are the kind of stories that really hit home for lawmakers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, thanks very much for the call and the questions there. Let's go to Ali in Detroit. Ali, welcome to Detroit today. Hello? Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, how are you? This is Ali Moin. Good. I'm calling to compare how much the Iranian nuclear deal is better than what they signed up. First of all, Iranian nuclear deal was multinational, was not one country with North Korea, had a lot of process of checking. Iran did not have any nuclear weapon. It would have stopped it from making it all the way. And then Donald Trump, just because Obama signed it, refused to understand Mm -hmm. the deal and did not even sign it. And the effect that will have on Iranian people will be devastating. A country that's pro-Western, pro-U.S., He's turning them against U.S. and against Western countries. Uh, Ali, you know, that's my comment. And yeah, I'm really unhappy about this. Uh, that's a that's a really really interesting uh, perspective to inject into the conversation here. I'm glad you called, uh, Peter. Talk about the difference between the approach to North Korea and Iran. Other presidents have at times linked them together as uh, as sort of common enemies, and maybe that was probably uh, a little naive or, or lack nuance. Here, uh, Donald Trump seems to, to be doing uh, the opposite and saying that they're very different. What is the difference that he sees? Uh, well, the, I see the key difference is the one that I think that Ali pointed to, and that is the deal that, that Trump scrapped to limit Iran's nuclear ambitions was incredibly robust. It had, it had multilateral support. It had very, uh, very strict uh, enforcement and verification and inspection mechanisms built into it, and we threw all that away. And the idea that we are somehow going to have something that is even more effective uh, with North Korea, I think, is just uh, outside the realm of, of realistic possibility. Um, the kinds of things that that Trump argued made the Iran deal weak are the very kinds of things that he would have to put in place for a North Korea agreement to work. Mm-hmm. And North Korea is a much more difficult prospect because it has reached nuclear capability. You know, Iran, it was still aspirational. Right. They were still working towards uh, full-on nuclear weapons capability. North Korea crossed that threshold years ago. And so uh, this is one of those things where um, this notion of, of permanent uh, 
what is it? What was the the word that was used? This idea that 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 North Korea would not be able to 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 get nuclear weapons again in the future right. is also impossible because once you know how to do it, once you have the technical right. expertise, the scientific expertise, knowledge? yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, remove all of North Korea's nuclear scientists? It's just not plausible. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think the caller was right that the that the Iran deal was one that that worked and was was working and really in many ways should have been a template for what we do with North Korea and we've thrown that to the into the trash can. Okay, Peter Trumbo, our professor and chair of political science at Oakland University. Thank you for being here on Detroit today. Thank you. Jeffrey Gertz, postdoctoral research fellow on global economy and development at Brookings Institution. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.